This is a small city. Just north of the big city. Built on brickyards, factories, and small businesses. With a rich history and strong roots. And this is a podcast. That serves to tell our story. Share our experience. And celebrate our community. This. This. Is Beacon. You can hear us good? I can Let's hear. Let's get it on. We don't give a what, what. <laughs> that's, that's, about about that's how we're going to start it. That's yeah. about to be my Let's new get it on. Oh, there it is. Okay. You know, I if city like council that. meetings started like this, I bet a lot more people would watch. <laughs> like. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So welcome back, everybody, to This is Beacon. This is Brooke. This is Ruben. This is Brandon. This is Justice. Uh-oh. Oh, our, wait. Was our I? guest is here. <laughs> our guest is here. We were just having a, a little bit of fun time listening to some music. Um, and I, you know, Justice, in so many ways, like, I think a lot of people have their own perspective of you or how they got to know you or where they know you from. But for you, you know, for the person out there who's like, who is Justice? You know, tell tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, gosh, the universal question of who is Justice. I think, I mean, I think everybody wants to know, like, what is Justice? Because, like, I certainly do. (laughs) But, like, who is Justice? I mean, um, you know, honestly, I've done a lot. You know, living, being, living in a like panoramic pandemic, whatever you want to call it, um, it's given me a lot of time to think. And like, if I had to like sum myself up in three words, it would probably be care, creativity, and community. Nice. And so, you know, dialing it back to like the tangibles, you're born and raised here in Beacon. That is correct. So tell us, you know, what schools did you attend? South Avenue Elementary. I know yeah. the school is falling apart, but it's still my favorite. It's got Aww. a place in my heart. Um, and then Rombout Middle School and Beacon High School. Um, yeah, I which high school? Um, the the new one. I'm. Hey, I'm. You got to shout that out. Yeah, no, I do. I mean, the one with the pool. Um, oh. <laughs> okay. So uh, that's a in flex. ground. <laughs> I mean, is it a flex right now in 2021? <laughs> Does anybody really want to be in a pool right now? Yeah. I mean, so first of all, I also went to South Avenue, and I'm starting to think that we tend to have a lot of folks that yeah. went to South Avenue on this yeah. podcast. There might be a South Avenue bias. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we had a South Avenue switch over to Sargent, but but we haven't had anybody I from... I know. No, 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 Forrestal, no Glenham. So so those folks, we need you to stand up because, you know, South Avenue's putting y'all to shame just like we did on those... those days. We're I mean, not. we on our field days. You yeah, know. the field days. <laughs> South <laughs> Avenue's putting you to shame, y'all. You, you know what's crazy? Every generation has the same story because um, <laughs> we, we, we've had people in here who were born in the 70s, born in the 80s, yep. um, and uh, everyone's saying that it has the same theme when it, when it comes to that field day. <laughs> South, South Avenue, Avenue took it. Yeah, we dominated <laughs> every field day. It's as if we trained all year for that day you know i don't know about y'all but we went on field trips at least once a month and you know they they couldn't afford buses we were walking all over beacon so we were trained <laughs> <laughs> we were trained for that we walked to madame brett we walked to zia we, yeah, we, we, we definitely did 
walk to the sanitation place, you know. We were walk to yeah. Memorial Park. Nope. Yeah. You know what? Maybe I mean, that's the did. difference. Because I bet you Glenham kids were being bust. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. There is there is value in being there's that's the value of adversity. That's what that is right there. Exactly. Um, so, um, so okay, so you were born and raised here in Beacon. Tell us just in general, what was your experience growing up? Oh, gosh. Um, if I had to describe... <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I don't talk a ton about my childhood. I actually um, grew... I was raised a Jehovah's Witness, believe it or not. Um, I'm not that now. But um, my family was super conservative, and they were... Um, I was a very sheltered child, so I didn't spend a lot of time, like, hanging out with other people from school or um, anyone else, really. Like, I just... I spent a lot of time, like, when I was growing up in the church, and then um, as I became older and became a teenager, I sort of became rebellious, or, as I like to say, developed critical thinking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, um, and I started definitely, I think, around 16, 17, I, like, started going out into Beacon on my own and exploring the city and the community, and I was like, oh, it's actually a really nice place to be, Um, and that's really when I started, like, getting my footing in the community beyond being in the school system. And and when you started getting to the community, was it met, was it just a matter of like just getting out, seeing what's in the community, or was it like getting involved with certain things? Because I tell you from my experience, like um, I believe it was about maybe twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen. Um, I seen you at I think even one of our I am Beacon events. But then from that moment, like I just always just seen you on Main Street, you know. But like I was like just always walking. So I didn't know what exactly what you did or what you do, but it's like, oh, I know. so I used to always shut you up, like, oh, hey, Justice, and like, you used to have this confused look, like, how do you even know me? And I'm like, I, I don't know you. <laughs> I just don't know your name, so I was just. Yeah, um, so, yeah, after school, I started just hanging out on Main Street and hanging, uh, and like, exploring Beacon um, as my own person, which was really nice. Um, and I eventually I started volunteering, helping to, um, maintain some of the trees and plants on along Main Street. And then while I was still in high school, I was gunning for a job at the um, library in Beacon. And while it was difficult for me to get a position there at first, I finally ended up working there. It turned for, into one, from one day a week to several days a week, which was really nice. And I also, I volunteered at the Welcome Center. Um, and so I was there on like Saturdays and I would welcome tourists and be like, this is Beacon. This is my home. Welcome. <laughs> yeah. So now, what what drew you to the library? Why did you... Why were you gunning yeah, for the library? Yeah, I was, like, I was like gunning for... And I was like waiting for like, <laughs> like what's the cool job that you were gunning for? We <laughs> library. <know> some <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's so funny. Um, when I was really little, I wanted to be a librarian, and now I want to be something else, and I'm, I'm going to, I'll talk about that later, but um, I just, I've always felt safe and at home in libraries and around books and knowledge and the opportunity to learn and to explore stories and sort of get lost and find myself, um, and it, it just, there was something about libraries that, I mean amplified how I define myself today again which is care compassion uh, or care creativity and community 
because I mean, I think a lot of people think of libraries as stuffy old places, but like they're really innovative and figure out new ways to help people on a regular basis. Like the job of a librarian is to help people. Um, and I think that's really cool. You know, you get paid to help people for free. Like what better thing, like what better position could you be in, you know? Um, mm. So I was, and of course I love to read, so. Yeah, um, my. I, I'm not a big, I wasn't a big reader. Um, I did go, just go to the library a lot, surprisingly, for, for whatever reason. and Because um, it was warm. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and you could go there for free. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> and, and like, you know, you know, thinking about, like, today with this pandemic and, like, this mass stuff, like, it was, like, universal, too. Like, when, like, someone spoke loud, it was, like, almost, like... Like, I, you know not to talk loud in here. And, and I'm, a, I'm a loud speaker, you know. My voice projects mm-hmm. itself. and I'm usually, But, like, like, you just knew not to be, like. Loud I, in the library. <laughs> yeah, like, that universal code, like, always just stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my, my experience of the library, and you're right, that definitely describes the, the library. Because I would call myself a little bit of a, a local advocate for libraries. Like, I'm constantly, like, using the library because it's free. And a lot of people don't know that all of this that's in here is free. And they do a ton of programming, especially, you know, just learning events, like things that you could literally go to for free mostly. And they're great programs. So, yeah, that is, you know, it's it's a resource to the community. However, the community must utilize this resource in order to keep it going. So thank you for that. And, you know, like that does make you a little bit unique because I don't think in this age, right, someone who grew up in this era, right, would think, wow, a library is such an amazing place. Like when they think like, oh, my cell phone can give me any answer under the sun, right? Well, you know, I I definitely in 2016 um, post-election, I found a new appreciation for libraries because library like librarians are the people that you can turn to to separate um facts from alternative facts you know so it was just like this is the place where I can find information or this is where I can go to to figure out whether this information is true or not you know this is the resource to tell me what's actually going on in the world um and I thought that new responsibility was something sacred honestly like this is where I go to find truth, you know? Mm. Um, And I think libraries have always echoed this sort of um, framework of safety for me, but even more so in in this foundation of new truth, you know? Um, And the ability to help people figure out, you know, like what is actually going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, the other thing that came up for me is like, as you, you strike me as an observer... Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so over these time, over this time, right? Like Beacon has gone through such change. From your perspective, like you know, as you're seeing it, like how are you experiencing all the change that has gone on in this community? So one of the things I've said for a long time now is, if you leave Beacon for five minutes and come back, it's a whole new community. You see a whole new building that's up there, um, and you're like, "Where are people going to park? <laughs> Where are people going to park?" But um, you know, it's constantly changing, and I think for me, a lot of I, I had to figure out like 
how to deal with change. Um, and I think that's a huge thing with a lot of people. Like change is the most consistent thing. And yet it's something so many of us struggle with. Um, but like I also started to see that people were who had lived here, whose families had lived here for generations were being pushed out. And um, it, it started getting a little whiter here. <laughs> um, mm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I saw the rifts between old beacon and new beacon and you know people who were labeled the first wave gentrifiers and then the second wave gentrifiers and people who were called brooklynites and i was just i mean people there's so many people from brooklyn you know there's just i started to notice this real divide and this um anger toward um people who were coming in and taking i guess as some people might put it taking over the community but um I didn't know how to feel about it at the time either or at, at first because, I mean, I feel like gentrification is definitely a complicated double-edged sword. It's like, yes, you're making a neighborhood look nicer, but at what cost? Mm-hmm. So tell us more about that. Um, I mean, where do, <laughs> where do you want me to begin? Yeah, like, so for you personally, like, what are the pieces that you, you, because, like, you're right, it's multifaceted, right? So for you, what are the issues that are, like, that you, that you hone in on, that you zero in on that's, like, okay, this is a point of concern for me, or this is, you know, a point of celebration? Well, you know, at this point, I think it's become a little clearer for me, as in, um, or just in the fact that, um, I see people as I see people losing their homes and being pushed out and forced out. You know, it's becoming clear that the idea of making this place look nicer and be nicer isn't for the people that actually live here, um, and that is something that started to concern me. And me realize I also came to the realization that um, you know a lot of time and resources are spent on making things new or better for people that don't even live here, you know? Um, and there's so much focus on... Um, there's so much focus on the theoretical, the fantasy of what things could be without actually addressing the issues that are here. And there's... I mean, if we want to talk about it, honestly, I've come to see gentrification as violent because it's forcing people out of their homes without any regard for um, their care, their needs, their safety. Um, and, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think both of you are hitting it on the head with um, with it being a double-edged sword and also being, like, multifaceted, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Because um, I, I, I have a couple of different perspectives, but it's like, yeah, I'm not even sure how to tackle it, you know, so I, I, I don't think about it too much. Um, I just try to get in where I fit in. Uh, obviously, um, being an employee in the city and not being able to afford a home here, that, that is highly frustrating and not really the community that... Um, the, I want to touch on that, that for a second because, on. you know, that is ridiculous. How are is the city going to... How is the city of Beacon going to employ somebody when with a salary in which they can't even afford to live in the city and what how is that even remotely rational or or fair or reasonable you know 
I've come to realize that you cannot work in the city of Beacon and also afford to live here, um, or at least not with the jobs that are presented, whether it's from the city or if it's from the local businesses that exist here. Um, and it's no fault to them that the, or at least I'm not blaming local business owners for the sky or the skyrocketing of rent and mortgages and everything else. But, you know, I would certainly like to live in a city that I could afford to work in as well, you know? Like, how are you supposed to be a part of the community if you have to, if you can't even work in the community to Mm -hmm. afford to live there, you know? Yeah, it's like you're good enough to work here, but please pack your bags at the end of the day and go elsewhere because you're, you know, and then again, it, it comes back to your point of who are we building the better for? Who is the who that is to benefit from the growth and betterment of the community? Um, So I guess my question is, like, since you're in this space, I'm going to try to extract as much value out of you as I can. Um, You know, how do we, like, you know, as the, the average person that's listening to this, like, what can be done from where we are and what can individuals do to help, you know, beyond just raising awareness, right? Because I think we're all aware. We, we know that we've seen the folks move out. We have the, we know the family member that's dying to buy in. We all have that. Um, but what can be done? Like, do you, is there, is there anything that you recommend for folks to do from where they are? You know, that is a tough question because there is no one simple answer. It's not, if the, I mean, if there was an easy solution, I, I'd imagine so many people and places would have already tried implementing that, but that's not the case. I mean, I think it's a huge matter of the people in power making the decisions and how they want to use that power and wield that power. And granted, like people power, the um, ability for a community to come together and raise their voice, that holds a huge impact. I mean, we've seen it over this past summer and um, I, I still see it happening all over the world, even if it isn't getting major news media. But um, it's definitely, it starts with having the conversations and it's difficult, especially when you don't know where to begin. But um, if you are a gentrifier, like addressing that and acknowledging that, like acknowledging where you came from and how you your presence impacts the presence of others. And that's difficult work. I mean, and it's not the society that we are brought up in. We're not we're not brought up into up in a society that values that. We're not brought up in a society of care um, and that forces us to think about others. Um, and it's the work of doing that to begin with. But also, I mean, from where I'm coming from, housing is a human right. Um, and everybody, nobody should have to worry about where they're going to lay their head for the night or what their shelter situation is going to be. Um, and so I think as a community, that's something that needs to be addressed as a whole and say, say, well, we don't want homeless people in here, here in our community, but how are we going to help them? You know, how are we going to help the people that are struggling to, how are we going to help the people in our community that are struggling to make ends meet and to keep their housing, um, with that? And, you know, that does start with rent stabilization and, um, there are so many other things that go into it that I don't even know. Um, I'm just joining this housing committee put together by a group of citizens that are like 
working to stop the um, impending evictions because of COVID and mm. rent relief and that ending, you know. Um, but I, I wish I had, you know, the answer. But it starts with talking to the people that are most impacted. And it that's, and I say starts is the key word because that is just the beginning because then it turns into, okay, well, what resources do I have to help um, fix this problem and not put this problem out of my sight of line of view because that is often what is what happens. Um, but how do I make this a place that is equitable, safe, and enjoyable for everyone here in my community? Yeah, I, I, I think that's a real tough task. Just hearing you talk and, and hearing um, a couple of our past uh, guests that came on, um, mm-hmm. affordable housing was like a hot topic for a couple of them. And just hearing some of the similarities, you know, and just picking up of what they of some of the things they said, it's, it's even starting to me, it's, it's even starting for me to see the multiple facets to this you know yeah because um because on the one hand you got um what came up in a conversation was is it's, it's the renters who are hurting not not if you own like taxes are definitely going up too but but they're not the ones being forced out but like the rent when the landlords are now now saying i can i can double rent right now or making it hard for a renter to live there to force them to move out um which came from a perspective for one of our guests and then um another guest when we talked about some of the laws and legislations that are allowed in new york city but only exist in New York City and, and don't exist for the rest of the state. And um, when you talk about like rent stabilization, that came to my mind. But also with the double-edged sword, I've seen people who would be technically old beacon, who this kind of like, you, in, in the same conversation, I understand where they're coming from, but it's almost a contradiction in itself because they'll say whatever they're upset about with beacon, maybe like some of the changes, but then they're, they sold their house at a price that, that, that they – would have never got, or they're saying, "No, oh, yeah, I'm selling now." So, like at the end of the day, vegan wasn't where it was. You want to got that benefit, so like you're kind of on the upswing of your house. So, yeah, this is a, it is a complex conversation, and then yeah. I don't know how to tackle something like this. So, I just appreciate the fact that you're jumping into this space, um, and uh, like the last couple of our guests who are in this space, I appreciate the work that you guys are doing, and I'm hoping that some things will come out. Yeah, because it's not it's not a one size fits all kind of thing. Um, and it's not going to be solved by one area. Well, see, that's the thing about equity. And I think that's the thing a lot of people don't understand. Equity acknowledges that there is no one size fits all solution. It's addressing the individual cases and addressing how circumstances impact different individuals based on different circumstances, based on different things. Um, And, you know, starting to look at things with a lens of equity, it's, it's hard. I mean, it's not, I I should say it's, it's work. It's, it's work. And at the end of the day, there are people that just don't want to do that work. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. But they want to sit in positions and collect whatever fringe benefits they can. Yeah. Yes, they do. <laughs> so we're going to get into all things of what you spend your time doing. But before we get into like your work that you do for this community, tell us about, you know, when you do have free time, air quotes, and I know you're <laughs> giggling, um, free where time. might we find, like, what do you like to do for fun? What do you like to do outside of um, all of your work? I mean, like pre-pandemic or now? Because I mean, yeah, I... um. Well, you know, I mean, I think 
we c- I I think it would be good to like explore, just like take a step back and like look at like how I got to where I am now. Yeah. Um, All right. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, because I was not an activist this time last year. That's for sure. Wow. Um, and I was I was involved. I mean, before um, after high school, I was the youth president of the NAACP Southern Doctors Branch and. I was on the city's commission or the city's HRC. Um, And those were definitely experiences. The Um, Human Relations Commission. Yes. Yes. I don't know if they're the Human Relations Commission or the Human Rights Commission. I know there's an argument between like what the name is or should be. Or a committee versus commission. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Yeah, there's a lot. I have a thing against committees. I honestly, personally, I feel... (laughs) I mean, I'm just going to go off on this real tangent real quick. I feel like committees are set in place to slow things down. It's just like, you know what? If 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 there's a problem, we'll form a committee. <laughs> you know, instead of just being like, okay, well, what's, what's the problem and how can we address it now? You know, it's like, let's put this committee together and over the next several months, you know, this committee will meet once every two weeks and, you know, it's just... I would like, definitely say um, I won't. I won't put words in anybody's mouth and say that that's the intention. But I, as someone who has been asked and from time to time has participated, I will one hundred percent agree that whether or not that's the intention, that's definitely what happens. Because two things come out of it: when you create a committee or an entity of any sort, task force, whatever you want to call it. What you're doing is two things. One, you're telling everybody else who's not involved in that said committee that the committee's working on it so you can go sit down, right? So now you're disengaging folks. And then number two, because now you've set in place a process of some sort, you're saying, oh, well, now the issue isn't as um, as hot, right? Like, like it's almost as if the committee being formed in and of itself takes it off the hot burner, right? And just by that, those two things alone, it tends to go off and die a slow death. Yeah, I, and then I would almost take it a step further and say it uh, it can allow um, to deflect accountability and responsibility from I the think leadership position. That's often what it does. Yeah. Is that not the point of committees? I thought that was, yes. wasn't that... Yes. And and, I mean, those are the, so, you know, and I guess that's a a great way of just, you know, highlighting for folks that that's what tends to happen in those situations, right? Like those three things, I mean, and everything that you said um, about the deflection, absolutely. Because then no longer is it the topic at the meeting, right? Because it's this sub thing that sits somewhere else and it gets that otherism going on where, and then there's where you lose transparency and all that other kind of stuff about what is going on. It's like, no, it's with the committee. And then to the people, they can say, well, we tried. Or we, we took an effort at trying to address this. Yeah, so then the committee becomes the, the solution yeah. and the, the end-all, be-all of that particular issue. And it doesn't necessarily get all the way to fruition um, with enacting real change. No, committees are never solutions. Um yeah, no, I feel like they're just a way to suppress public voices. And that's my hot take. Um, happy to talk that out with anybody who wants to, but um, that is where I stand on that. Back to you, Brooke. Yeah. 
<laughs> You're good at this. You're going to take my job away. Um, so, I mean, so everybody knows you, or not everybody, in this last year or so. Oh, yeah. No. Your journey. We were on me. Right? Yes, we were on you and your journey. <laughs> Wait, this is about me? Yeah, this is all oh, about you. We're talking about me. That's right. Okay. Okay. Back to me. Um, so, yeah. After, so I was a part of these um, groups um, doing minor social justice work. I was also, um, after high school, my parents kicked me out um, and I ended up living in a basement apartment. Um and I had to figure out what I'm going to do with my life because, you know, everything just shifted. It was just like at one moment I was my life was devoted to God, more or less. And then the next moment it was like I had nothing and no one and I had to figure it out all on my own. But I didn't because I had done the work of building community beforehand. And I think that's what really saved me. Um, and after taking a gap year, I ended up going to DCC, um, trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. Um, figuring that I wanted to live in New York City, but not really knowing where I wanted to be or what I wanted to do or who I wanted to be. Um, and in the meantime, I ended up working at several different places in Beacon. I worked at a couple of different restaurants, the Kitchen Sink, the Town Crier. I was working at the library. I also got a part-time job as a janitor. Um, I worked at the, um, there used to be a cupcake shop on Main Street. Um, it was called Get Frosted. I oh, used yeah. to be there yep. super early in the mornings. Um, so anything that wasn't like a cupcake, um, it was pro- I probably made it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I got some baking skills. So, you know, anybody needs a cake or anything, hit me up. Um, yeah. Cookies, cookies, <laughs> cookies. I'm... I'm superb at cookies. Anyway, um, yeah, so I was working all over Main Street, I, and I was working seven part-time jobs to pay for college full-time out of pocket. So I, was, I kind of ended up in this work cycle of work, work, school, work, and maybe I'd get sleep every two or three days, but... Um, mm. Oh, so when I was seeing you walking, you were, you actually weren't exploring anything. You were getting from one job to the next. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. But people ended up knowing That's why I was me. like, why is he waving at me? I got to get going, man. <laughs> I always had somewhere to I be. somewhere to be. I yeah. always had somewhere to be. Um, but while I was in Dutchess Community College, I realized that um, I wanted to be a writer, Um and I wanted to explore that as a major, and that wasn't something that Dutch has offered. And I, to be frank, I wasn't having a great time there anyway. Um, but I found a university in Florida, um, Full Sail University, and I ended up transferring there. And I lived in Florida, Orlando, from 2017 to 2018. Um, and I ended up doing uh, um, my bachelor's. I did a four-year degree in an accelerated program, so I did it in 18 months because, you know, that's my speed. Yeah. But <laughs> um, And not for nothing, all those jobs prepared you for yeah. that. Yeah. You know, I feel like everything in life prepares me yes. for the next step. It's just like life keeps me ogging me from one thing to another. <laughs> yes. Like when I was in college um, – I ended up working at my school's professional development department, and like all jobs, that was made up. Um, and so, 
what I ended up doing was organizing groups of students together to do volunteer work in the community. So we would go out with Habitat for Humanity, Feeding Children Everywhere. We would do events with like Light the Night Leukemia um, and like all sorts of different people who were like bringing good into the community. And we were asking or I was asking the question, like, how can we help? How can we be a part of the community beyond our school's community? You know, like, how can Mm. we be interact with the world that we're actually like living in you know beyond campus and so i did a ton of volunteer work um before i mean while i was living in florida and like honestly i loved it i i i I loved it and i think that was like one thing i loved about orlando that like i couldn't get in beacon because oftentimes unless you're a part of a specific organization or like you're in the pta like it's hard to find like opportunities to like volunteer and just like be a part of the community here um in that sense but like orlando was so big there's always something going on so it was just like yeah you need extra hands like we can do that like i can bring extra hands like i can get at least 18 students to come out oh you need 25 i'll bring 25 no problem like it it was just um gathering community to help out was sort of just like it felt like a calling to me yeah, that's, um, that, that's pretty awesome to hear. Um, I definitely relate a little bit to your story because when I when I graduated college, I came back to Beacon, and yeah, I was trying to look for organizations, but everything was like seemed uh, uh, ulterior ulterior motive ran. Like there's other reasons. Like it might have sound the title might have sounded good, but the reasons that they were doing things was just for other gains or not 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 for the spirit of giving back or or the community as a whole. But um, hearing your story when you went down to Florida, it almost goes back to like what we call the the Beacon spirit. Uh, you went to another community with the, with the same thing that we talk about in Beacon about just wanting to give back and help out others. So once again, I'm not I'm not surprised to hear it, but I, I'm 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 almost proud to hear it. You know. So uh, what, what what brought you back to Beacon though? Um, if I'm being honest, like trauma. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, ultimately, um, I went through some rough experiences and I was actually at the end of my time in Florida, I was experiencing homelessness and it was it was rough. Um, And I was trying to function through school while also dealing with homelessness, trying to figure out where I'm going to sleep that night. And I, I had no money, so I was making a four dollar McDonald's meal stretch over three days, you know, mm. like. I've just, I mean, I was in a position of, like, literally having nothing. And um, I I realized that I couldn't heal in the same place that hurt me. But um, I didn't really know where else to go. Um, So I came back to Beacon to just heal. Um, um, Because, like, my my goal, my original goal was I thought that I was going to, after college, jump straight to Los Angeles and start writing for television. Like, and that is something that I plan on doing. You can email me at justicewinsandemmy2027 (laughs) at gmail.com. We have goals. We have aspirations. We are doing things regardless. (laughs) Um, I, you know, I just, I needed to um, deal with, um, things that had ended up hurting me. And, like, I needed to, I needed stability. I needed stability um, and a mm. place to rest my head and call home. And so you I found that in Beacon? I found that in Beacon, yeah. Um, uh, a cat-sitting gig um, ended up into a friendship that turned it into a really nice living situation. Um, and so I got lucky. I, I got really lucky, um, and I'm grateful for it. But... Um, 
yeah, um, I came back here not knowing what was going to happen next. Um, but what I found was support um, from people that I was close to. And I ended up getting a job at the library in Garrison and not too long after at the bookstore in Cold Spring, Split Rock Books. Um, and I um, moved on from there. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, you, you come back and out of your out of that experience right and you're focusing on yourself you're rebuilding you're healing you're doing all that and about a year ago or so things kind of changed (laughs) you could say that a little bit a little little bit. bit so tell us a little bit about the backstory that led to um and I'll, I'll i'll drop it for everyone like that led to your role your position with um activism locally um and specifically beacon for black lives so when the pandemic first hit um or impacted us it was like a week after mount beacon was on fire like our world was literally yeah, does on fire. anybody remember that oh yeah <laughs> i, I forgot about that until just yes. now oh my god yes. yeah I'll, I'll send you guys pictures so that you yeah. can like post it with this podcast yeah yeah, yeah. um but yeah the mountain was on fire and then we everything shut down um and i thought like i i truly thought that if we all just stayed home if we all just hunkered down that like it would be done and over within two months. 2020 was supposed to be my year of travel. <laughs> <laughs> well, you traveled <laughs> <laughs> up and down these streets. <laughs> up and down the streets for sure. Yeah, but, um, I was on them feet. Yeah, no, I I didn't leave my house for 63 days. Like I just I stayed still. I was like I did not go out anywhere. I was just. I hunkered down. I had bought, I stocked up on groceries and I was like, I'm, I'm here. That's, that's it. You know, we'll stay still and we'll move past this. Um, of course we didn't move past this. And I had like lots of friends that were encouraging me to like, come out. It's okay. It's safe. You can just like come out for a walk or something like be social. And like, I was struggling personally with my own mental health and I had restarted therapy, which was like really good for me. Cause it actually, it really helped me address like a lot of the stuff that I was struggling with. And that I realized that, um, I use keeping busy as a coping mechanism. Um, and I mean, which is a, not a terrible coping mechanism, but it's also really nice to deal with the things that are like impacting you. So mm-hmm. um, I was able to spend some of that time working on myself, which was really, really great. Um, but it was also really, I don't think that a lot of my friends understood that it, part of not leaving the house was not just because we were in a pandemic. It was because like I wasn't... Um, I, my vision wasn't blind to what was happening in America and the world. Like I saw the way, I clearly saw the way black people were treated in this country um, and in the state of the pandemic. And I concluded that it wasn't safe for me. I mean, when I thought I was finally ready to like go out and like start jogging early in the mornings, you know, I heard the story of Ahmaud Arbery um getting lynched um while just jogging and I was like nope okay that's not something I can do and then like 
trying to even feel safe in my own home. You know, you hear the story of Breonna Taylor who gets shot in her own home, um, a black woman getting shot um, by the cops. And I just, you know, it was it was like I there was nothing that I could do to feel safe. But then I would also read articles that didn't make major news, but it was just like instances of uh, cops beating up kids, black kids on like the stoops of the streets in New York City for not wearing a mask. And then in the same city, in the same borough, handing out masks in parks to white people that are like, no, thank you. And I'm like, this this doesn't seem right at all. And so it really started to open my eyes. And I know a lot of the country started becoming more awake to it too. Um, and then the incident with Christian Cooper and Amy Cooper at um, Central Park. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, it was just like, wow, somebody is going to call the cops on me for just being black. And I'm better off just staying inside. So, um, so, so, so a lot of this was coming from like, like everything that you were seeing. So, so it wasn't necessarily, you had an incident in Beacon where it's like, oh, you know, I'm not going back out because I know this officer and he, this is what he did to me. And, um, I think some, what I'm hearing you say, and, and, and I, and I think it's a great perspective to, to put out there because if anyone knows me, they know that, uh, I think movies are real. So, <laughs> so what I see on movies, I try to, I'm like, oh man, I, I got to be cautious of that. So, so, so I, I. Definitely in my youth, I used uh, things that I've seen in, in even movies as, as, as a caution. But um, I'm almost hearing, like, like, as you were seeing it, because it's actually news. This, this is real life. This is actually what is happening. And happening it, in our state, too, some it, of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, 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 the, so that really hit you even, even on an individual level of, of where you were like, you know what, I don't even want to take note. I don't know if it's happening in Beacon or not, but it's, it's happening everywhere, and, and Beacon is no different. You know, yeah. like, I, I, have, I have to be... Um, hip to reality that that uh, even though we are a special gem we are in this bubble but we're, we're, we're not um immune to anything else going on in this country and i'm seeing what's going on in this country and i don't want it to happen to me here and like like you don't want to be the story that comes out of here you hit the nail on the head yeah, yeah. and so you know that, the thing that that brings up for me is the fact that you know that's what that's the environment that we're in as a country. That just is. It's not, you know, it's not right, wrong, indifferent. It's none of those things. It is the actual environment that we are in. And during that time of shelter in place specifically, right, like that is, you know, HD quality coming in you know at because you know you think about who you were when you were like busy and on the go yeah, and this you don't and that, have, you don't have access you, to that stuff. your cognitive dissonance can kick in there right because it's like well i've been out every day and nothing happened to me you know like and that's where like and i think that's part of like what informed people being so in tune to it because they didn't have those you know they weren't as busy they weren't so in you know all out and about and all that stuff whereas these are the only images that you're seeing yeah. At this time, yeah, no, no, I, I, I thank you for sharing that because you, 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 you brought in even the, my perspective of, 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 yeah, having those arguments with people when people are saying, well, you know, that doesn't happen here. Eh, well, it could because I, I'm also, um, I, I understand how things can progress, you know, so it, I, I think start with uh, mistreatment, then it start with a little bit bullying, then the next thing you know, now, now it's turning into some type of uh, violence. Well, you know, people say that it doesn't happen here, but it does. And, you know, you're just not talking to the people that it happens to. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I knew that I was living in my own bubble and like I I could hope that it didn't happen here, but I wasn't I was not privy to how much violence that um black people and people of color in our community had been experiencing outside of my own bubble, you know? Um I was like it's not something that's happening to me, but I was afraid of it could happen to me. I wasn't living off of the experience of it did happen to me, you know? Mm. Um but I wasn't pretending like it wasn't something that was a possibility. And what ended up getting me out was George Floyd. Um and the pro- the first protest that ended up happening in Beacon before Beacon for Black Lives existed, it was Kirita, Stefan, and Xavier. You know, they um, Kirita put out that call to action, and the three of them together ended up making this protest happen. And I, you know, I've seen protests happen in Beacon, and I've it's usually twelve, twenty people raising signs at Polo Park and getting honked at. And I said, you know what? If that's what that this is, that's fine. But this is important, and I, 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 I will risk it all to go out and stand up for this and say George Floyd's life mattered and Black Lives Matter, and that my life matters. Um, and I got there early, and to my surprise, there were already over a hundred people there, and I was. That was the first time that I felt that my black identity that my black life mattered um like to see that many people show up and chant and hear so many people chant and sit look look at me and like tell me that my life mattered um that my black life mattered that was huge that was that was huge um and i that is something that i just couldn't let go of i want to live in a world where that's not even a question if my black life matters or not. You know, it's not, it shouldn't be an argument. It shouldn't be a debate. Why is this something that millions of people have to scream to even get an inch moved from any sort of law enforcement agency or anything, or government or anything else, you know? Why is this such a battle to help people to understand that black lives matter, you know? Um and so I just getting my toes wet, um, I, I quickly realized that this was something that I needed to give all of my energy to um, and that this was something that I wasn't going to let go. Um, and so after between that first protest and that second protest, um, well, between the first, second and third protest was me reaching out to the organizer of the uh, Kyrta, Stefan and Xavier and saying, how can I help you get more organized? What can I do to support? And quickly realizing that it was just the three of them. I was like, oh, yeah, let me bring my organization skills and my newfound graphic design skills to the table um, and help you um, keep this going. Um, and then so forth, we became Beacon for Black Lives. Yeah. And, and at that point, did you look back at all your other experiences, like what you organized in Florida and everything? Everything like, in my life had been training like, me yes. for this. You're like, okay. <laughs> wax on, I, wax off. <laughs> here I am. You're like, <laughs> I am seeing it all now. It all makes sense. <laughs> and not for nothing, right? Like where you were personally, what I'm hearing is it had such an impact 
on your ability to convert where you were into action, right? Like, which for me tells me that you are uniquely qualified to be in this space. You know, I mean, for for myself, it was, I, it really, just being in that environment created so much awareness for myself of how many people in this community were hurting um, and how many people in this community had been hurt and hadn't had a platform or or a stage or a place to use their voice and like tell their stories. And the fact that we were giving that to people is huge because as a writer, I know stories are the lens through which we learn how the world works. And so the fact that we were able to give people this um, meant to me that we can move things forward. Um, and for myself, like I might not have been a victim of police brutality, and hopefully I never will be. And I'm working really hard to create a world where that is not something that can happen. Um, but I have been victim to many other unfortunate violences and um, many other forms of harm that if it wasn't for the support that I ended up with, um, I I probably wouldn't be here today. Um, and I know what it's like to be marginalized, to have nothing, to struggle to have your basic needs met and to not feel safe. Um, and I want to I know that I have it in me to address that with compassion with care and to tell people that we deserve better um and that's at the end of the day all it is helping people to to understand that we deserve better you know we shouldn't have to fight and struggle to have our basic needs met we shouldn't have to worry about whether or not we feel safe or whether the people that are we're paying to protect us are actually going to kill us today. You know, you know, a uh, 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 traffic stop turns into uh, 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 getting your a gun drawn on you. That's not something that should ever happen. You know, um, and I hope Stefan forgives me for this, but he recently, um, I'm going to share this little tidbit. He recently um, moved out to Buffalo for school, and um, actually just a few days ago, and like within his second day there, he got pulled over for speeding um and that interaction escalated quickly into the cop flipping him over and slamming him onto the ground um and i just i felt so helpless hearing that that was his welcome to your new home um and there was nothing more that i wanted to do than to just drive up there and give him a hug but um how's he doing he's he's doing okay now um is, is he um he has support he has support um and i was grateful that he reached out to me to talk about it but um that's not something that should happen to anyone you know why should you, why should a, a speeding uh infraction turn into a violent situation like that that's that's not okay that's not okay and i recognize that so many people are in these positions where they're being harmed um, quite bra- quite blatantly and also very subtly. Um, and I'm here to not just listen, but to address that because I, this is my home. And if I have the ability to heal even just a little bit here, I want this to be a place where other people can too. I, 
want this to be, you know, our, our name is Beacon. Like we live in Beacon, you know, it's a source, a beacon is a source of light or inspiration. You know, it's Beacon. It, it should be a place that's healing and it should be a place where you not just want to live, but have the opportunity to actually live there, you know? And I want to make sure the people that live here in my community have the opportunity to exist and feel safe and welcomed and loved and supported. Yeah, um, and uh, you already said that you're a researcher, and then now going down to this line of work, um, have you learned anything like uh, within like the past year of like just understanding the history of Black people in this community? I've learned so much, um, and you know, one of the things as far as the history of Black people in this community is how whitewashed it's been and how. Um, how much erasure there's been but um in this past year um i've had the privilege of um learning honestly um stepping up to help organize protests i truly believed that my role as an organizer was to simply help organize and make events happen um and to that um that there were going to be other people that showed up and did the grunt work of, you know, reaching out to the politicians, demand putting out the needs for change and what the demands are. But I quickly realized that everyone else was looking to us um, to beacon for Black Lives. Like, what do we do next? How do we, how do we address these issues? And um, as a team, we sat down and we realized that we have to educate ourselves. We we need to. Um, we need to figure out how we can actually use this position that we've created to help people beyond um, talking about it. Because if all we do is talk, then not, nothing's going to change, you know? You can tell people that you're struggling but and hope that something changes, but at the end of the day, there's work that needs to be done. And you know, people were looking to us to help with that work or at least guide them with what that work was. And for us, that meant educating ourselves on um, how people have been harmed here, how um, the racial inequities that exist within our community, within our state, within our country, um, and understanding the systems of power that exist today um, and how they... Um, are designed to not only separate those who are in power from those who are in need and um, have the ability to, or those who they're meant to serve, but it's also designed in a way that's ultimately meant to stymie those who are in the most need and rather than um, address needs on the surface it's uh, our system, and this is not to the fault of anybody who's working in the system and trying to make it better, but it's designed in a way that ultimately pushes those who are marginalized out of view. That way, you have the convenience of not caring. Um, and that is something that I realized is missing, is care. Um, and there are so many people who care, but we live in a, uh, a culture of individualism that is also designed to separate ourselves from our, our very own neighbors. Um, and when we're all so separated, we don't realize that we're, 
we're dealing with the same struggles and that we're in so many ways we are the same and that we all ultimately deserve better you know um so yeah i don't know where to go from there well also just to be clear right because um i think some folks may look at you know the work of beacon for black lives and they may just like isolate it to like this is about police reform but in reality what i'm hearing you say is is much more than that so um in a lot of that, you know, there was this, of course, slogan, defund the police. And while I recognize that slogans such as ACAB or defund the police uh, can be problematic, they're the slogans that get your attention because for years, for years, for centuries, black people have been saying, you're killing us. Um, you need to stop killing us. And the response has been met with, well, not all cops are bad. Um, so... When no you, bad apples. <laughs> yeah, there's just a bad apple here and there. Well, when, and so, you know, that gets ignored. But when you say something that gets people's attention, like defund the police, they're like, well, why would you defund the police? You've started a conversation. You've started a conversation. And defund the police is not about taking money away from things that keep people safe. It's not. It's about analyzing the question of what is community safety. And when Beacon for Black Lives sat down and actually looked at this question and addressed it, what is community safety? You know, it goes more, it's beyond just um, crime response because that's what police do. And we need to, I just wanted to spell this myth right now. Police do not prevent crime. They respond to it. Um, and that is something that oftentimes we forget. And um, looking into the data and looking in and just taking my research um, background or using my skills of research, I, you know, it was uh, something that I figured out was that only 3% of what the uh, police respond to in Beacon is um, violent crime. Like, only 3% of what they do is responding to violent crime, not preventing it, but responding it. And yet they get 25% of the city's budget. Um, so when looking back at what is community safety, you have to address, well, what are the things that are making people feel unsafe right now? What are the violences? What are the insecurities? What are the struggles that people are facing? And it goes simply into housing and food security and, I mean, healthcare. Right now, you know, there are so many people that are worried about whether or not they're going to be able to pay their next month's rent or their mortgage. You know, there are so many people that are worried about where their next meal is coming from, which is why beacon for black lives teamed up with binnacle books and fairground to like start the community fridge project um and why and you know with living in the pandemic too you know it's just like we realized that because so many students were going to be working remotely we we all i mean this wasn't even something that was in my radar because i i recognize that i have the privilege of having somewhat reliable internet but so many people in our community don't have that and that is a utility that everybody needs which is why in our plan for community safety and our asks for community safety we demanded municipal wi-fi um students going back to school in this new school year of a pandemic we realized that so many of them were going to be forced to have remote learning however they wouldn't have the opportunity to even engage in their schoolwork because they didn't have reliable internet how is that fair how is that equitable especially when the most impoverished students 
and the most people or the most students that or most people in general that tend to have the least access um are people of color you know um mm. and so looking at these issues and addressing these issues okay people need wi-fi we're going to demand it from the city but in the meantime what can we do to set up wi-fi for people in our community and we ended up setting up a wi-fi hotspot in memorial park and that was one of the many places that we're working to get it but you know uh, that's another thing too it's like the city's working on doing a comprehensive study and figuring out what they can do to make it happen and that's great i'm appreciative of the fact that they're working to address it but the problems right now the problem exists right now um and so it these kinds of things require um, us to get our hands dirty and to say, what can I do to help right now? Yeah. Um, and same with the community fridge. It's like, it's great that we were able to push the city to funnel some money into this year's budget for food justice. Not a lot, but I won't. It's, I'm, a, start. I'm, it's a start. It's a start. But yeah. that, you know, it taking months and months of like pushing for this, you know, it didn't, that didn't get the community fridge going. It was a group of people saying like, hey, like look at all of these tiny food pantries that are being filled and 20 minutes later emptied. Um, it's, there, there's so many people that are in need. Like what can we do right now to pool our resources to figure out how, can we, how we can help the people in our community who are in need? Um, yeah. And at the end of the day, that's, it's just a matter of directly addressing the issues and looking at what community safety is and saying, you know, people in my community are struggling with this. I'm struggling with this. What can we do together to make this something that we're not collectively struggling with anymore? Yeah, well, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, and uh, thank you for sharing all that. I, I think that's a lot for us to digest yeah. right now. Well, I think uh, I think there's a few things that come to mind for me. I mean, first, I do want to thank you for debunking the myth on this defund the police because, you know, like you said, it offers the opportunity to start a dialogue, right? And I think what ends up happening, though, is when folks here or some folks here defund the police, it's a non-starter. It's like, well, then we're just not on the same page here. See ya, you know? But the fact that it's, you know, you know, in so many ways, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it is kind of like clickbait, right? It's like, I want you to wake up. I want you to say this, like, I want you to understand that I'm being serious here and I want to have a conversation and that that's your intention with it, right? Because, um, again, when you, you know, throw out a blanket solution, something like that, it's like, wait a second, hold up. What does that mean? You know, what does that mean? Right. But for the folks that, you know, it's the non-starter, it's like, you know, it's, it's stalls dialogue, right? Like, I'm glad that you said that because it does kind of like then offer a new way of addressing it for sure. But one of the things that I want to ask is, you know, if you if so, if it's a non-starter for some people, were they willing to engage in the conversation in the first place? And I don't know that they were and maybe they were and hopefully they will. But I want I mean, it's the I it's as simple as this for me. I want to create or help to create a system of community safety that is based in care rather than one that is inherently based in violence, you know? 
why should we respond to mental health crises with vests and guns when we can handle them with compassion and care? And uh, social workers, medical professionals, and people who are um, trained in handling these kinds of situations. You know, one of the things that I, I think of is my younger brother who is on the spectrum. He's autistic. Um, and he, he's a large black man. Um and so if he were to have some sort of mental breakdown, how would the police approach that? You know, like, mm. I'm not even close to him, but, like, I fear for what would happen if, you know, the police were felt threatened by his presence because he's, he's a, a towering individual. Um, but that doesn't mean that he would harm anyone. Um, and so why should the response be harm? Right. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I definitely want to thank you for your time too, because um, you, you are sharing a lot with us, um, and uh, and like the the defund the police, the conversation starter. Um, I, I think also what happened through the whole transition of this with with the protests and the moving to that. I think there was also um, other organizations that had their agenda with that with that slogan and I think you also I think your your organization got thrown into it so just hearing you talk I think um one thing I would like to see in the future is maybe having Beacon for Black Lives come in because uh, there's a lot of questions that I have and I would want to talk with you about that that's not what today's for and um I, yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't want that 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 weight on you I'm saying you got yeah. you got enough of it yourself well I would love for us as a team to come in and talk yeah, um, yeah. for I, sure I, I, I think you definitely raised yeah a but lot it's of good questions. to it's good to know all the issues yeah. that you are right because I think in some ways like it can be looked in this in this one silo right like it's only about the police reform but what yeah, you've no. just done is really unpack that you know, the intention is really about understanding what safety is, period, which then extends way beyond just this one entity of our of our community, not to absolve it and say that that's not the problem. It's a part of it, but you're also looking beyond it to say, okay, what are the issues, right? Like we talked about the housing, we talked about food security, right? Like there are multifaceted and then down to something as, you know, you know, you had pointed out that wasn't as conscious right with the wi-fi right so you know i appreciate the fact that you guys did take the opportunity to step back and say no what what is all the things you know and because you could have been you know you built this yourself right so you could have been very focused and isolated and been like well this is the one thing i want to impact but no you guys really took your lens of compassion and care to say okay if these are the folks that we want to make sure that we are advocating for on behalf of, let's take a step back and see what are the true issues that are impacting this particular community. Well, at the end of the day, I like to look at Beacon for Black Lives as a conversation. It's a conversation between people who, for whatever reason, have a platform and the community. And so what we hope to do and what we've been trying to do is use our platform use our voices to amplify the people who have been marginalized and who have felt so powerless for so long and felt they haven't had the ability to actually share their stories to share their truths and be met with any actual change um and you know at the end of the day we want to exist in a community where we can all feel safe um, and I, I also just want to jump back on the defund thing real quick. Um, you know, nobody's saying, like, take the entire police department's budget away tomorrow. Like, 
I don't think that... And vegan for black lives, because <laughs> there are some people saying it. Just yeah. Well, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> let me make that clear. Because I... Yeah, like for you, well, me personally. Yeah, but for you, Justice. That's, that's, that's what we want to make sure. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I definitely um, have thoughts about the police, and that is what I'll say about that. Um, I don't think it would be helpful to anyone to just strip what seems to be right now the only thing that we as a community know as our bridge to community safety without any sort of solution or preparation or anything to substitute or consequentially deal with everything that's put on their plate. It's also about recognizing that um, the people that us as a community have um, tasked uh, on dealing with all of our social issues, they're overburdened right now. And it's saying, okay, well, why are we putting all of our social issues onto you in the first place? Um, it's saying, why don't we designate, spe- <clears throat> sorry, why don't we designate specific resources that are um, created to deal with these specific social issues? Um, and yes, you can still handle violent crime wherever that exists in Beacon, which again, 3%. Um, <clears throat> but let's invest in other things. Let's invest mm. with, in what this community is needing. Yeah. And, and what I'm hearing from you too, is that it's, you know, it's a much broader issue, right? And when you start thinking of it from that level, that, that pours and points all things leadership, Right. What does leadership look like in this community when you're looking after it on all these different angles through all these different lens? Right. Like. It isn't just, you know, like when you said, why are we putting all of our issues on the police? Right. That's the system that we're in today, that they end up in situations where they are responding to mental health crises. They are, is that the right word? Crises? Crises. Crises. Yes. <laughs> Y'all are the social, <laughs> social worker will, will fix me on that one. Um, they are responding to issues that other um, solutions could be better suited in those environments, right? Um, or at least have the um, capabilities resources to respond appropriately which we don't we don't we haven't had those questions really raised in such a way in our community today um so i know there's something that you'd like to share with us in terms of where you're going to be in this perspective or where you hope to be in this perspective you want to let the folks know um yeah you know what um so it this I've also, uh, one of the things that I realized about myself is that oftentimes I only stay in a given spot for about two years, or at least that's been the pattern. So it was, I was coming up to my two-year term, like coming back here at the end of 20, or at 2019. I love how you put that. It's my two-year term. <laughs> Time's up, y'all. Gotta yeah, go. <laughs> well, that's, that's what it was. It was just like, am I going to go now? Like, do I, do I leave? Like, what, what do I want to do? Where do I want to be? And I mean... I, I definitely, uh, I, I plan on and I'm going to pursue a career in writing for television. Like, that is a given. And tell us that email again. Justice gets an Emmy. Justice wins an Emmy yes. 2027 yes. at gmail.com. We're manifesting out here. <laughs> That's right. You got to put it out there. <laughs> 
No, and everyone else is subconsciously manifesting for me. So I really appreciate everybody who emails me. I, I thank you personally. Yeah. This Emmy is because of you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I love and, it. And, and uh, before we wrap up and Brandon gets to his question. Um, no, no, he no, has no, something no, to no. share. I, uh, <laughs> You're yeah. missing out. Yeah, no, so. Bonus episode. In my two-year um, thing, I was just like, well, I, I had to examine, like, is now really a good time to make that jump, to, to, to leave Beacon? Um, and the answer was no. And not because I think the work is reliant on me, but because I, I know that this work that I've been doing all summer and for a long time now, it's in, it is in a fragile place and there are people that are ready to co-opt it. Um, and at the end of the day, I know that I am, I, I am a driving force in the social changes that could be. And I want to see this be a safe place for everyone. And I, we are at a point right now where that can happen, you know, where we can build a system of community safety based in care. And I want to see that happen. And so I had to say to myself, well, if you're going to stick around, um, how do you want to spend your time here? What is, in what ways can you have the most impact and help the most people? And in that, I realized um, that meant for me to run for city council. Um, so I um, threw my hat in the ring and I am running for city council ward two. Um, and just to be clear, I did try to convince Eric... <laughs> Just to be clear, um, I did try to convince um, our current city council member of Ward 2, Air, to stay. And I spent a couple of months looking for literally anybody else that would be interested in running. Um, and there were a lot of no's before it was a yes. Um, I had been asked a lot of times by a lot of different people to run. And I said no. And that was primarily because of what my relationship to leadership was, um, or at least my understanding of what I thought leadership had to be. And the way that I perceived it was not something that I wanted, you know. Um, but in working with Beacon for Black Lives, I realized that the best kind of leadership is a conversation. You know, it's a mutual respect. It's, it's um, the job of a city council is in its... Um, pure sense a public servant and if I already have that opportunity if I'm already doing that work I think that I can enhance that work by having a seat at the table by arguing at the table for equitable change and to help people um, help the people that are already at the table gain the perspective of those who've been crying and hurting and saying what they need for so long and help them understand or help bring the understanding and bridge sort of a gap of what it means to not have and what this position, how impactful that this position can actually be. Wow, uh, I I applaud you stepping up to the plate. You know what I'm saying being um, uh, going into public service is um, like you said you're you're already doing the work. So uh, I, I mean, I, I it started with libraries. It. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, and, all back. And, and you know, the biggest thing that you can do, everything that you're saying from the public cert, right? I see myself as a as a servant leader, right? But it's about really understanding 
in HD quality what folks are actually going through. And you absolutely have that. And that's something that you, um, you, you ooze it with who you are. You know what I mean? Like you show up with, hey, this may not be my own experience, but I can understand the experience of others and I can, you know, advocate on their behalf. Right. Like, so having that, you know, lens so much, like that's, what's going to make the difference is remembering that in the moment at the table, in the conversation, behind the conversation, you know, that piece of the puzzle. Um, But then on the flip side too, is, you know, now that you've kind of, you know, come out a bit in the, in the community, right. People now feel comfortable saying, Hey, this is my experience, right? Because one of the things that you hear quite often from city officials is, well, nobody's calling me. Uh, my email is there. I didn't get any, you know, I don't, I don't know what's going on. And so I think that that too is a little bit of feedback when you, when folks aren't coming to you, right? So um, kudos to you for stepping up. Um, and, you know, I'm definitely excited to see where this goes for you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to being able to help and serve my community in the most um, efficient and uh, most efficient and helpful, I guess, way that I can. Um, And I just I also look at it from the perspective of my own privilege of just I, I look at the city council members and like they're running businesses, they have their own lives, like, they have families, they they have other obligations that they need to take care of. But like, this is in alignment with the work that I'm already spending 40 plus hours a week doing. So why not? Um, I'm already dedicated to it. So whether or not I end up in this position, this work isn't going anywhere and I'm not going anywhere. Um, and I hope that the people of Beacon know that I will continue to advocate for them. Oh, I appreciate hearing that. And I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. And so I'm going to hold you to my question earlier about your free time. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so, he did say he likes to read. So yeah. It's a lot of- yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, well all of my reading now is a research at this point. I do buy books that are just like, I think I would enjoy this. But ultimately, my reading has been about learning, not about exploring fictional worlds, worlds per se. But um, as somebody that wants to write for television, I do enjoy watching television. Um, mm-hmm. I really enjoy animation. Um, I, um, I'm like I like being creative too. And I mean, honestly, I I, I get a thrill out of organization, event planning, um, and creating an equitable future. Um, so there's honestly the work that I'm doing is such a joy in itself. Like I'm happy to be a part of Beacon for Black Lives and spend, like, extra free time um, just figuring out how I can better serve my community. But I also really love Mario Kart, so if anyone wants to, like, send me their Switch code, like, I am down. I'm very competitive. I will destroy you. I love you, but I will destroy you. Um, (laughs) There it is. See, I knew we'd get to it. Do you play Tetris? Tetris? Poyo Poyo? I have Tetris on my Switch. I haven't played it yet, though. You got Tetris Poyo Poyo? That's the battle. I'll, I'll, I'll take you up on your your Mario Kart. Okay, okay. Send me the switch code. Sure. You got it. You got it. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to practice first, but I'm going to get on it too then. Oh, <laughs> I am not into this gaming thing. I feel like I'm missing out. Like, yeah, you shout out. You want to know what it <laughs> is? Shout out to my Listen, nephew. next Juneteenth, we're straight up going to have a Mario Kart tournament. Like, it's going to be a celebration. Uh, Listen, know. you know I can throw an event. <laughs> I, I think at this point, Beacon knows I, we can I put think, on an event. I think the reason why I never got into games... <laughs> Is this man right here? <laughs> because my brother would—he wouldn't just win; he'd destroy you. So I just got in my head like this thing. Like I'm not good at this thing. It doesn't matter if we're racing cars or if it's Street Fighter. It's like I'm getting like destroyed. Like what am I doing here? So I just never really got into the video game game. Yeah, shout, shout out to my nephew Christopher. I'm saying that Nintendo Switch is getting a lot of use. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so one last question before we let you get going. Brandon's going to uh, walk you through it. Yes, yeah, so Justice, once again, thank you, sir. Um, so here at I Beacon, we like to refer to ourselves as the Avengers, the Avengers of the city. So my question for you is, if you were to be drafted onto the Avengers, what would your superpower be? Oh, I feel like I talked about superpowers in the last podcast <laughs> I was on you with. Um, so I'm excited to talk about it again. Um, I... You know, at this point, one of my old powers, and I'm jumping back to it, is cloning without consequences. Because there's just so much work to be done. Okay. And I do, I, I feel like I can rely on myself to get it done. <laughs> so, <laughs> cloning without consequences. But um, no, if I had two superpowers, they would be um, emotional telepathy and the ability to help people heal. So not to heal people, but to help people heal in whatever way that looks like. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, makes sense. You're on the team. <laughs> yeah, an emotional telepathy that. because I don't want to read people's minds. That's intrusive. But like <laughs> to be able to f- read people's feelings, like just like truly understand, I think that's 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 incredible. Yeah, and the one thing I still can't get out of my mind, which is back probably like a half hour ago, was uh, when you said that police don't prevent crimes; they just respond to them. Because I'm like. Tell me I'm wrong. When, when, when I was in the criminal field, if they were there, they prevented it. Yeah. Because I wasn't. <laughs> but, 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 yeah, to, you just made me, gave, gave me a perspective to think about, like, if they're just well, responding around here. What? Yeah. You might be able to tell me if this is true. I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard this. But technically, the police do not have to respond to a call or a crime. So if you're being robbed or held at gunpoint and you call the cops, they kind of have, like, room to make that decision. I don't. I, this is something that, and this was based on an incident that happened in the city. Well, New York City got their own laws. Very and true. Rules. Very true. So, um, but I heard that little bit, bit of information, um, and I have a brother who's a trooper who didn't say it wasn't wasn't not true. So I was just like, wow, that's. I'm not going to confirm anything without being able to cite my sources. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think Brooke knows at this point that I cite my sources <laughs> on the bottom of every. Side. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming in and sharing your journey. I feel like I've learned a lot about you. That's for sure. Yeah, and definitely got uh, got more of an understanding of of who Justice is. Yeah, into the Emmys in twenty twenty seven. Yeah, like it'll be a show. So, for folks who want to know more about you, your journey, and especially now that you are running for council, where should they find you? Um, you can follow me on Instagram. I live on Instagram. My username is Yellow Swagger. Um. Although I haven't been spending as much time on Instagram lately. I'm also on Twitter. Um, my name is Justice Laughs. So, um, nice. yeah. 
I mean, I'm on all the social media. Don't, if you message me through Facebook, I might not respond for five days, but (laughs) I'll, I'll get to you. I promise. It just, it might take a minute. Um, but yeah, you can, you can find me anywhere. And honestly, if you see me on the street, you can reach out to me. My, my number's online, my email's out there. Like I'm very reachable and I am more than happy to sit down and talk to anyone. Um, please like talk to me. I'm here and I'm here to listen. Awesome. Well, thanks again for stopping by. Thanks for having me. I feel like there's one more thing that I wanted to say. Should I talk about the book that I'm working on? So <laughs> you totally can. Yeah. I mean, we're here. Okay, just like a brief plug. I mean, yeah. So what's I'm, it about? So it, the story, it's a time travel story following Louis Latimer, the black inventor who um, created the filament that um, we have in the light bulb that we have today. Um, and he um, created that to create a better standard of living for um, people who had just been freed from slavery. So what I decided to do was I, um, after the bombing of Black Wall Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, I decided to like take his uh, take him as a person and like turn him into a character that's like that's enough. I I, I thought that I can make lives better for Black people, but I can't. Um, I won't see that happen in my lifetime. So he builds a time machine and jumps forward into the future in twenty minute uh, in like twenty year increments um, and meets up with some Tuskegee Airmen. Um, ends up in civil rights fights and ends up fighting at Stonewall with Marsha P. Johnson. Ends up fighting in our times as well. And it's really him just exploring the question of what does Black liberation look like and when will Black Lives Matter? Mm. What does that look like? Um, so that is a story that I am working on. And stay tuned to ask me about it. Um, I'm having a lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah, and my publisher great. is too. So. And what's the and what's the timeline? <laughs> um we'll see we'll see we'll, we'll, we'll I'll, I'll keep you posted yes we will have to yes. go follow you but like i feel like posted. saying that out loud forces me to like stick yeah. to my time <laughs> like yeah now i put it out into well the at least you're here so. for another you're here for another two-year term exactly i'm on a book i might as well i like how you put it to another two-year term because that's how he put it like he has to like be in places for two years no, that's awesome. So yeah, so we'll hold you to it because now we want to read it. <laughs> It'll be a good read. I'll, I'll keep all, y'all posted. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Yes, thanks thank for having you. me. You have been listening to This is Beacon, a dynamic duo hi-fi production in association with I Am Beacon, a nonprofit organization.